Hi, and welcome to the Warfare in Conversation podcast. My name is Olga, and I am the founder at Warfare and your host for today's conversation. Today, I am joined by Ursula de Castro, an upcyclist, fashion designer, author, the queen of sustainability, and so much more. Ursula is the creative director at Aesthetica and the co-founder at Fashion Revolution, an activism movement which works towards a sustainable fashion industry. De Castro has been in the sustainable fashion space for more than 20 years since founding an upcycling brand from somewhere in 1997. Ursula, thank you so much for, for joining me today. It's a, it's a massive honor and pleasure to have you uh, and speak with you. Thank you for having me. And one question that I ask um, all my guests on the podcast is um, to sort of reflect on um, this conversation and what would make this a win for you. So potentially looking back on this um, conversation, maybe even today as, as, as we, as we um, move forward, maybe from six months from now, what would make it a win that you joined this and, and we had this conversation? Uh, I don't, I don't win nor lose ever. I am not a winner. I'm not a loser. I am a genuine competitor. Uh, competition actually means competere. It means to strive together. I am utterly uninterested in measuring my life or career in terms of successes and failures because I don't believe that that is the crux of it. So in six months from now, I hope to be as happy as I am right now sitting here with enough projects as I have right now in my ha head and in my everyday life. But um, I don't plan ahead. I don't have goals. I drift, really. I'm a drifter in life, uh, a drifter and a crocheter. And, a, you know, so I just don't know. I mean, you know. The most exciting thing could be, you know, just behind my corner tomorrow or the most exciting thing could have been behind my corner yesterday and I don't know it yet. <laughs> no, that's lovely. That's a lovely start. Thank you. Um, and taking you back a little bit, um, I really, I'm really curious to learn about where does your interest in fashion come from? It's a really difficult one because I can't split the moment when I wasn't interested in fashion. But of course, I didn't call it fashion when I was two and a half years old. <laughs> so um, I'm interested in how people manifest themselves. And I'm very, very interested in colors. So I think that those were the two things that brought me. I mean, you know, I had a very, very strong from a very young age, but I can't tell you why, where or when. So as far as I am concerned, Clothing is as part of my body as any other organ will ever be. It's the same as hair, nail, legs. <laughs> and I don't remember when it became more than this, you know, or a vocation or a genuine interest. It's always been with me and I think it probably always with, will. Mm, lovely. Okay. And given that you are the co-founder at Fashion Revolution, um, I wonder also what sort of feelings accompanied you those 10 years ago when you founded um, the movement? So there wasn't, um, it was Carrie's idea, Carrie Summers, the, the other co-founder, 
who actually called me after the Rana Plaza saying, look, let's do a commemorative day, let's do a fashion revolution day, because the Rana Plaza disaster, which happened on the 24th of April 2013, was very much the catalyst for further change, and fashion revolution was born as a result of that. However, I have been working in sustainability and promoting sustainable brands for a number of years already then, so the sense was that we weren't going fast enough and that something really needed to be done. Mm. My interest in fashion revolution really became very strong after we started the movement, after we created the founding team, when I saw how many people from all over the world were wanting to start their own chapters of fashion revolution. That's when I realized that we had something mm. really unique and really, really different. That's also when I realized how, to a certain extent, um, the importance of giving visibility to others and how fashion is not as centralized as we think it. And so that's really the feelings at the time was having to do something that was non-negotiable not to, uh, the helplessness of not knowing quite what to do, and then slowly the unfolding of a global movement, which of course was very important both to myself and Carrie, who founded it, but to, the, to sustainability and in fashion in general. But it did come from helplessness, and I remain helpless. Yeah, well, you sort of... It jumped forward to my next question in terms of, do you feel like things have progressed? Do you think no. like things have changed? No. Yes, things have changed, mm -hmm. but they haven't progressed. So maybe we have progressed, maybe consumers, citizens, maybe we understand more and more of us are looking for change. Uh, we are certainly more articulate in looking for change, as in we can actually speak the language now. Mm -hmm. There is massive change when it comes to smaller brands, smaller realities, real creative designers all over the world making radical change happen. And radical, I mean radical in every sense of the word radical, because it's both radical in the sense that it's extraordinary and different and unseen, but it's also radical because it's deeply founded in the roots of fashion. Fashion is sustainable in its origins. So, mainstream brands, big brands, I mean, reluctancy to change has reached peak level. Uh, capacity to greenwash is, you know, beyond ridiculous to the point, I don't know how they, how they don't laugh at themselves when they, they come up with these obscene lies that we're all supposed to be believing. So, no, not enough change. I mean... Simply, when people say why, but there has been so much, which brand, fast fashion or fast luxury, pays their supply chain worker a living wage? Answer that question, no one. Mm. Very, very, very few, and we don't know who they are. Second question, which brand, fast fashion or fast luxury, has actually put their hand up and said we're going to be producing less because we are excessive? None of them. Not enough change. In fact, I was talking to another group of activists the other day, and I was saying, 
it feels to me as if we were supposed to be influencing the mainstream and pretty much the opposite happened. The, influ- the uh, mainstream influenced us. So we are, you know, we started as a coalition, we're further divided, we're competing against each other, we've put the word rivalry in between our organizations. Mm. So, you know, really, honestly, it, it's it's been really hard to do the work that we set out to do and we still find so much opposition. It's extraordinary. Do you have any ideas around where that change could come from? I'm just fed up. I'm just, you know, I, <laughs> I resigned from Fashion Revolution a year ago. Mm-hmm. Now, you never resign from something you have founded. But I couldn't live the principles that I was trying to change. You know, I don't want to be the woman at the top that everyone looks up to. That's not me. I'm an accompanier. I'm not a leader. Mm -hmm. I walk alongside people of every shape, size, um, destiny. That's what makes my life interesting. So I jumped. Uh, You know, you know that there is that famous joke, you know, my God. Stop the world turning. I want to jump off. I did that. I jumped off. I jumped off a turning world. But because I kind of think, you know what, maybe I'm faster or more eclectic or freer Mm -hmm. on my own. Mm -hmm. And I believe that it is very important to advocate for change. And I believe that now there are several grassroots organization doing so of which fashion revolution is one and probably one of the more successful certainly one of the more diverse but as a designer as a creative as a fashion mom as a human as a mom as a grandmother as a citizen i have done enough of watching the sunset and seeing what needs to go i want to wake up at dawn and see what's happening next Mm -hmm. So that's where I have firmly placed myself. And I'm not a fast mover. I've always been, um, it doesn't look like it, but it feels like it to me. I'm quite slow. I contemplate a lot. I don't want to do things just for the sake of doing things. Things matter to me. My actions matter to me. And so I'm looking at other changes. I'm looking at other ways. I can't help myself from wanting to implement changes in this industry. It's all I know of. Mm -hmm. But I'm looking for other ways in which to do so. And I do believe that the only alternative to the mainstream is the opposite to the mainstream. So I love putting all of my passion, energy and profile into supporting what I consider to be the real alternative, which is small, tiny, minuscule identities and designers all over the world, designers who don't do products but do systems, designers who upcycle, designers who regenerate from biodynamic cotton. And, you know, Mm -hmm. these are the realities I want to see. So I'm looking for them and supporting them. Yeah, well, I think you've done a a huge a huge step into the right direction as a doer rather than just someone who preaches. At least that's how I'm, yeah. <laughs> how I'm understanding this. So that's uh, really positive, and I I really enjoy hearing that you want to use your sort of 
profile that you do have to to make that change and support small micro entities i mean i am myself one of those people and i value that support immensely so yeah <laughs> and it's I mean, the only way it's mm. the only way you guys are the only you know and every time one of you says to me we shouldn't be making more product as you will don't know about that you know we know who we have to stop making more product yeah, I mean, but that's, you know <laughs> that's i i want i don't want to you know all i i guess my ambition in life apart from my children all mm-hmm. getting on with each other and loving each other which they do as adults my next one is you know how exciting would it be to see a high street that is different from milan to mumbai to new york to you know jakarta they're all the same yeah yeah i agree 100 percent um jumping a little bit away from from this fred is um is something you've done and i absolutely value that as well and that i guess is more um mainstream is your book um i loved reading that book i felt like it was um both a journey through fashion but also a very practical guide to fashion and i'm talking about loft clothes last of course um, I do have a quote from it, which was one of my favorites, and that is, um, cheap clothing is worthy of an unedited Grimm Brothers fairy tale, made in misery, bought in haste, wor- worn for one night of that, and then chucked in the bin. Our ready to wear has turned into ready to waste. And of, from sort of from that, I, and I want to take a step back as well from fashion, because I'm really interested around the process of creating and writing a book and uh, what was your motivation there and what was the process like just as a writer? Okay, so that's, a, that's, that's you know, I'm very glad I don't have another appointment. You might well have to edit me. <laughs> this might be long. Have a cup of tea. So basically, well, the first thing is that it was not my idea. So I have been, when I was 15, my mum bought me my horoscope a reading of my horoscope um, from uh, a very famous at the time uh, horoscope person, in, uh, astrologer in Italy. And on my future, it said that the ideal profession for me would have been to be a writer. Now, I adore writing. I've been writing diaries forever. Um, and I've been reading ever since I can remember. But I am and always have been neurodivergent so I don't quite know whether I'm not dyslexic although it does fall under the umbrella of dyslexia I'm not dyslexic because I corrected myself I've been reading since I was a child but much as I adore writing I never ever in a million years thought that I could do it so it was a passion it was a dream in in a closet it was things I did and then destroyed and I focused all of my energy on clothes making instead but the Similar, they were close to me as processes because I am an intellectual, you know. Even the process of making clothes for me was my mind and then my hands and the why and wanting to be sustainable but also wanting to be creative and all of that. So one day I pick up my Instagram and there is a DM. I hardly ever read DMs. I think I'd only just learned how to access my DMs. And this woman says, I would like to commission a book on mending. I'm an agent and I would like to commission a book on mending. And my reply to her, I have them photographed, was, I'm terrible at mending. Thank you for contacting me. 
And then I literally thought, breast scent. And then I just thought to myself within a nanosecond, this is stupid because I love writing and I'm not very good at mending, but surely I can take this opportunity and twist it to my advantage. So I checked her out. She was a really big, very important agent who literally was the agent of some of my author heroes. You know, I read history. She has, you know, her company have, They've got some of the best books. So I wrote back and I said, look, I, I really am quite bad at mending. I couldn't do you a how to mend, but I do you a why to mend. And she replied straight back, said, a white man sounds wonderful. And that's Loved Clothes Last, described by someone as a cross between a manual and a manifesto which for me is the best description of the book. That's kind of like dot 180. That was exactly what I wanted to achieve. The process of writing was fast for me and I had to have some help because I had a deadline of having to do it in four months. And although the book kind of wrote itself because writing does come very easy to me, I did have help with um, the research and my eldest daughter, who was obviously native English, which I'm not, by the way, I may be bilingual, but I'm not native English. So she also helped me a little bit with the, the overall, for speed also, you know, I was having to write so fast. The book came back almost unedited from the editors, which was for me a real proof that I could write. Mm. And it's all I want to do. I'm not joking, it's all I want to do, but I want it so badly. Uh, I've realized so much that this is what I want to do when I grow up. But yet again, I've got to give it time. You know, I've got things to learn. I've got confidence to gain. I don't know that I want to write about clothes all my life, although, of course, I want to write about clothes all my life. But <laughs> I certainly don't want to necessarily write another political book. But maybe I do. I don't know. So I'm writing two very different things at the moment. But again, I've always written I've always read. I guess the only difference is that now I will give myself permission not to destroy what I write. But the process of writing is 100% my ideal state of being. Um, I'm on my own. I kind of go straight back right into myself. Words are just like crochet stitches. You know, you can make a perfect one and then there's another word that you can just see with your naked eye. It's got a defect and you have to start again for to find another word. And the stories that my head makes have always entertained me. So, yeah, I guess at 56 years old, I finally know what I want to do when I grow up. Oh, thank you so much for sharing. That's such a beautiful... I think a story of just who you are as well. Uh, so I love that. And besides you, that being your own personal endeavor, how did the public um, respond to, to that book so far? And that's, that's the other one that will be here another week. Um, I, I had no experience of anything like it. I've had no experience of anything like it. I get teary-eyed when I, when I, I mean, literally here. It's... <laughs> Um, because people are so generous, they've been so generous with me, with me, you know, they've taken the time to let me know how much they've enjoyed the book, they've helped 
me sell the book because mm. each time someone you know posts a picture of them with that book or uses a quote from the book it's a genuine honest way to help me uh sell that book i've actually just received my first <laughs> royalty payment which was you know a massive achievement for me i mean i want to you know what a frame it <laughs> and um but above all the most important thing for me was that you know some people that read my book haven't used a computer um i've received written letters uh from uh, an old lady in italy who look she literally sent me oh, wow. a little bit of the lace that she's done this is this is a tombolo i don't know how you call it in english very difficult lace to make yeah. i've had a group of something like six or seven young girls in nigeria just or oh, was it kenya sorry in kenya and in uh, passing each other the book so doing a book club reading my book and each and every one of them commenting on how it changed them i had a a, a girls school in mozambique using my book as as their library reading i've had people in new zealand uh contacting me about how much they've loved my book i've had kids young kids younger than my own kids telling me that my book was life changing for them unbelievable unbelievable yeah i mean i have shivers all around me right now because i don't even know how i mean i can't even begin to think how it feels <laughs> it, it as i said it's it's a very novel experience and one that will fill me for years and years to come you know i just need to go back to this moment those people to know whatever mm. i've done whatever i've done in life thank you mm. this is super positive and i i'm afraid i'll i'll um i'll be going on to the negative train right now okay um but maybe not what is um a lesson that you had to learn the hard way about the industry you're working in so the fashion industry I'm still learning it. Mm-hmm. This is an industry that will I mean the fashion industry I I entered the fashion industry because I love clothes not because I loved its people. I still don't love its people. Um It's an industry that if it can belittle you it will. Mm. If it can ignore you it will. If it can for whatever reason invalidate you it will i've had all of that and more and constantly and more it's not been an easy ride um i've been loved and hated in equal parts i tend to be loved by people who want to make change and hated by those who don't it's not nice to have people who don't like you who you can feel behind you that you know that you're creating problems for them but i know that i have to create those problems mm. uh, it's an incredibly false and hypocritical industry i mean there are people who to your face will show a smile and to your back literally elbow you out of the way but and let's be frank here 
uh, as the brilliant Catherine Hamnett said, and Catherine Hamnett used to be my hero. She then became a colleague and we've now become friends. Now, for a long time, we've been friends, good friends. And when <laughs> talking to her, I said, Catherine, what made you want to be in this industry? And she said, you know what? I knew I could excel because, to be honest, the majority of people that work in fashion are quite stupid. <laughs> and that's been the best advice I've ever had when it comes to fashion because at the end of the day, even though it's hard, I have made a decision that I will only suffer if I am not liked by people that I like, if I am not liked by people whom I don't actually like very much, well, then it doesn't matter, ultimately. You know, we can still perform our functions as individuals without necessarily having to cross nicety, you know, nicenesses, or we can still be very uh, polite and kind to each other, not in this industry. I try to be. But... So the lesson that I've learned the hardest way is that you'll be elbowed out at any opportunity. And it's one of these industries where, I guess, um, being kind is difficult. But at the same time, the more you are kind, the less this industry will be able to read you. And that's been also very much my advantage. Mm, kill them with kindness. I think that's from Selena Gomez. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, you see, I didn't know that one. I'm gonna get that. One, yeah. But yeah, thank you for sharing. Um, Arsala, I think one of your books is definitely one where I highlighted. Um, I think almost every second word, literally. <laughs> <laughs> um, and one of the highlights is is something that I see coming around all the time. But it's this idea of one person's trust can be another person's treasure. And you are referred to as the queen of upcycling. And to me, that's kind of the extends, the extending of lifetime of garments and clothes, taking care of them, etc. Um, and they could obviously be passed on. But um, how do you see this idea of end of ownership? And here I'm kind of referring to this new business model waves and new ways of um using and um, having fun with fashion um, where we no longer own things, but maybe we just use them. So I'm here just thinking about swapping and rentals and these kind of models where we no longer just buy clothes, but we, we use clothes and we don't own them. How do you feel yeah. about it? Well, it's not for me. I mean, it really, really isn't not for me, but I totally see the point. And, you know, it's it's interesting because... That's what fast fashion has actually done. It's killed itself because it's created a generation of citizens who really don't give a shit about the clothes that they own. So for them, owning is not, you know, if you're owning just horrible stuff that you can buy at will and everybody else has, what is the point of owning? I get that. I totally get that. I am not like that. In fact, to the point that the other day I was asked if I wanted to borrow a designer's clothing and I said I'm really sorry but it would turn me into shoplifting because I can't give it back you know once something's on my skin once I love something do you think I'm ever going to give it back forget it so it's not for me personally but that's the joy and the glory of fashion that it's not for everyone personally it's about our own tastes so I love the concept challenging ownership. Mm -hmm. I think it's incredibly important. I challenge 
all the time. But that is in the sense that I challenge ownership because I challenge the people who want to own my clothes, i.e. my children, definitely challenge them all the time because they nick my clothes mm -hmm. all the time. So my, my ownership is challenged sufficiently. Thank you very much. <laughs> but um, swapping, sharing, passing on, I would say that maybe 80% of my wardrobe is not mine originally, uh, probably more. In fact, I may be able to count with my fingers the pieces in there that I have bought, say, in a shop, in a first-hand shop. I do buy second-hand uh, and I do buy vintage. I make no qualms that I... And I am, a, I am someone that buys, but I am also someone that sheds. I very often buy... Um, with my entire family in mind. So I have four children. We all wear, I wouldn't say the word sharing, because as I said, they share, I kind of share, but I get overly attached for sharing, but we all wear the same clothes. So if I buy something, I've already got four people whom I know I could give it to them if I didn't want to wear it anymore. Plus there's my cousin, and there is my best friend. Those, all of those people come into my constellation of, you know, sizes and taste and colors when I make a decision to buy something. So you can imagine. I'm also very lucky because obviously I've got young designers that I mentor. I receive fantastic discounts from them. Recently, I've had this thing whereby having fashion revolution, therefore feeling less somehow pressure to keep myself hidden from the world and to be a certain type of person. I've done two uh, shoots as a kind of an influencer, believe it or not, for two brands I really love and I did it for the clothes, you know, I got given free clothes, I'm so happy. So as you see, I have a real deep passion for my clothes. But, um, you know, literally the other day, my, my comfort jumper, Probably one of the oldest things I own, covered in holes, covered in holes. I did the most intricate crochet all around it, and I put semi-precious stones. So the dichotomy of mm. having a completely broken jumper, but decorated with citrines and garnets, you know, it's crazy. But that's, that's how I love my clothes. Mm -hmm. But the renting thing, I'm more worried than other um, initiatives. I mean, I love renting if it's hugely localized. Mm. But renting in itself will have issues. Carbon footprint, buying new people will want to rent the latest collections. In any enlarged system, people rent the latest collection. So there is still a lot of buying and transporting mm. and dry cleaning that goes into it. So... Um, I see it as a very interesting uh, opportunity because it challenges ownership. From a sustainability perspective, I don't actually rate it that high. But from challenging ownership perspective um, and for you know a, a new method for younger generations, in that respect, I think it's very interesting. On the other hand, all the technology around mending, repairing, which I called a quiet technology, like people talk about quiet luxury. I mean, these guys have been gently, silently, silently and beautifully moving behind the scenes till they get shit-hot investments for the past 10 years. That I want to talk about with 
spells on. I mean, that I make use of 100% regularly. I mean, mm-hmm. that's the best thing that's come back. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, just to kind of go back then to this idea of owning and one thing that always keeps is at the back of my head is the affordability of clothes and especially sustainable fashion. Um, do you think we can have cheap or rather maybe better word affordable clothing that don't cost the earth in the way they do today well yeah of course but that's not up to the sustainable designers that's up to the brands that have the capability to make cheap clothing and you know to change their systems i mean you know we can't and we shouldn't have as cheap as we've got now Mm. because we know what that cheap means and there are all sorts of ways to actually be able to afford it's a bit of a myth that sustainable fashion is unaffordable. Sustainable fashion is unaffordable if we buy at the same speed and quantity that we would buy fast fashion, sure. Yeah, you can't buy three pairs. If if you like something from a sustainable fashion brand, you can't buy double. You can't say, ah, yes, I'll get two pairs of those. So I'm sure that it's just a different way of buying. You know, you you buy to accumulate, you... um, you save up, you... But, I mean, what really pisses me off is that the Primarchs, the Shine, the Zaras, the H&Ms, you know, they are the people with a responsibility to make cheap and sustainable fashion. They clocked it with the cheap. They can do cheap, so now make it sustainable. Rather than talking about it, go ahead and do it. Mm. You know, I buy... If if The tragedy of it, of it all is that Imagine, just imagine, a brand like anyone. Let's let's say Zara. Mm. Say the guy from Zara puts his hand up tomorrow and says, I'm actually going to slow down production and I'm actually going to be paying my supply chain, my garment workers, a dignified living wage. They'd sell so much more, even if their prices went up. I mean, suddenly Zara would be the go-to cheap brand. You know, people wouldn't notice that they've put it up by X... Mm percentage that so i find it really surprising that these guys are so short-sighted not to understand and it's actually would be that would be the biggest marketing ploy that they could think of so but going back to actual expenses and how expensive it is to buy cheap fashion to, to buy sustainable fashion we have uh distorted the way that we buy clothes and the reason why these brands are still somehow invisible and therefore a little bit more expensive than they could be is because we don't look for them. So if we actually started to look for them, we would find that inevitably things and prices would go down for them. You know, materials would become... You know, if they grow, they can have access to better materials, which is cheaper for them to buy, and so on and so forth. It's a bit of a catch-22. But there are so many ways that we can support sustainable designers from all over the world, even if we're buying from them one tiny thing a year, one tiny thing every two years. Find them, follow them, ask them, where are you showcasing? Find out, because they will have the time to answer your questions. Mm-hmm. No, I 100% agree. Um, and you know what's really interesting? I, I don't tend to go to high street at all. And I if I do, it's more for sort of 
research purposes and just understanding the reality we live in. And I happened to go to the to the high street of Glasgow and I went into New Look and the first thing I saw was this I don't I I doubt it was cotton, probably polyester top and it cost 30 pounds and I was really shocked by the price. I thought it was really expensive for a new look top. Yeah. And then I kind of started looking around and then I was extremely shocked by the prices at these stores that actually fast fashion maybe it's to do with you know the economic um uh, environment we're in with the cost of living crisis and things like that and everything increasing in price but i was absolutely shocked by the prices i saw and i oh yeah god that's really brilliant yeah. news yeah i mean you look 30 quid for a top i, I mean, know i know i know sustainable brands that would give you one for 45 i, I know mean. exactly i was absolutely shocked and i mean the quality was just as poor and i feel like there was nothing that changed apart from the price so i was absolutely shocked and i was just I'm amazed that people actually buy from New Look for that money. I don't know. Unbelievable. What the, like, I, did, I, I didn't know that. But there's <laughs> another thing I wanted to say. I, I don't know whether you're going to ask the question, mm-hmm. but I think it's important. Because you mentioned, <clears throat> so the, the, for me, one of the most important things that we haven't done is actually invest in upcycling. Mm. So, And this is one of the things that I want to really pull, put my weight behind. Because for various reasons, I mean, one... Uh, we do need uh, a code of conduct for those who use uh, existing, pre-existing material because we do need a somehow some kind of a specification of what those pre-existing materials are. But because I genuinely believe that the next 10 years are for those who we use. Mm. And, you know, and I believe that the technology of mending and repairing has proved us that you don't need to be tied to the mainstream or sponsored by the mainstream to make a start. Obviously, we know of apps, uh, regen, you know, uh, mending apps that now have got the, the support and the sponsorship of the mainstream, but not when they started out. So my, my feeling is the future belongs to, to those who reuse. And because it's been so heavily uninvested in, uh, they tend to be very small uh, brands, you know, from all over the world. But my my story right now, what I'm telling everyone is that if we, you know, if we had invested a percentage of what we invested on recycling in upcycling, we'd have the systems mm. for collecting and the systems for sorting. There's no bloody point in investing in the systems if you haven't yet found the solution. So the more money goes into this niche technology of separating fibers that were nowhere near, Mm. the less money actually goes on to people. Mm. And the problem is that it's people that we need to create those desperately needed systems in order to unclog the landfills, in order to interrupt waste, you know, to start thinking about waste as a resource before it becomes rubbish. Mm. Well, I guess you preceded my question, which was my final question, really, is any last words of wisdom from you besides the upcycling idea? Is there anything you'd like to share? Keep talking. Keep talking to others. Keep talking about climate change. Keep talking about inequity and injustices. We've got a last chance to make a change to this culture. We've got it wrong. 
we've got it wrong. We've spent millennia colonizing, conquering, rather than meeting, getting to know each other, learning. And this is the state we're in. This is a grave state we're in. So when it comes to fashion, every day you pick something up, you wear it, you go out. That's a conversation. Keep having that conversation with yourself and keep having it with others. The fashion industry is a big industry. Any change within that industry will have a huge impact. And we all wear clothes. So it goes without saying that if we make changes to our clothes, we do have a shot at changing the industry. So don't stop. Okay, great. I mean, I love love summarizing this this whole conversation and around that we all share clothes. We all this is in common with all of us. So I think we all play a part. But thank you so so much, Ursula, for your time today. It was a real pleasure and just a treasure of wisdom. So thank you so much. Thank you, Olga. I'm glad we managed to speak with each other in the end.